स्वामी निखिलानंद इज अ डिसाइपल ऑफ जगत गुरु श्री कृपालुजी महाराज ही रिजाइड एट राधा माधव धाम इन ऑस्टिन टेक्सस व्हिच इज द यूएस आश्रम ऑफ जगत गुरु कृपालु परिषद ही ट्रैवल्स अमेरिका प्रीचिंग द फिलॉसफी ऑफ सनातन धर्म एज थॉट बाय श्री कृपालुजी महाराज इन दिस सीरीज ऑफ लेक्चर्स स्वामी निखिलानंद एक्सप्लेन्स द थ्री पाथ्स टू गॉड कर्म ज्ञान एंड भक्ति He reveals the scriptural teachings behind each path and tells which path is the best one to follow. Yesterday in part 1 of this series on the three paths to God, I explained to you that according to our scriptures there are only three paths because the path of karma relates to the sat aspect of god the path of gyan relates to the knowledge aspect of god and the path of bhakti relates to the anand aspect of god sat chit anand so we started to look into the first path the path of karma and we learn that the path of karma involves a lot of rules and regulations which are all stipulated in the vedas that the ved is very extensive 100000 mantras and out of that the great majority in fact have to do with the path of karma 80% of that 1 lakh mantras has to do with the path of karma it's also further expounded in the smritis and in purva mimamsa which is one of the six darshan shastras so it's a very extensive description of what we call vidhi and nished vidhi means the do's and nished means what you're not allowed to do so vidhi what you're supposed to do nished what you're not allowed to do So I mean it sounds very simple right if you're a good person you do good things and you don't do bad things so when you put it that way yes being a good person is very simple but the path of karma described in our vedas is much more involved in that than that of course the basic principle of being good still applies but there are many ways of being good i told you about vaidik karma social good karma religious good karma and all of these have rules that we have to follow so in fact following the path of karma correctly according to all of these rules is very very difficult which is why tulsidas ji says kali nahi karma na bhagati viveku that this karma this path of karma it's not actually possible to follow all of the rules and regulations of the path of karma in kaliyuga but anyway if someone were able to follow all of that what would they attain the most they could attain is going to swarg so i also explained what is swarg and i said that swarg is under maya 
Swarg is a uh, manifestation of the Mayak energy and those who follow the path of karma are rewarded by getting to go to Swarg for a limited time and then they have to come back here again. They start again from where we are now. So we had a question that looking at the path of karma it seems like it doesn't take us to our ultimate goal it only takes us to swarg or gives us a good destiny in our next life as a reward for our good actions but it doesn't take us to our goal of God realization it doesn't take us beyond maya we don't attain unlimited divine bliss or knowledge just by following these rules and regulations of the path of karma. So in our scriptures we find criticism of this path of karma, yet we also find praise. So how are we to understand why is so much of the Vedas devoted to this path of karma if it doesn't even take us to our ultimate goal. In other words, why do we find both praise and criticism for the path of karma? To understand this, we just have to understand the four types of karma described in the Gita, the four types of actions. They're called karma, vikarma, karma yoga, and karma sannyas. If you just understand this, the whole thing makes sense. So karma you already know, following the Vedhi Nishad of the Vedas, doing all the good actions, good ritual actions, good religious actions, good actions in the family and the society. If you do all of that, it will give you a good destiny in your next life and if you're really good, you can go for a vacation to Swarg. That is karma. The second one, Vikarma. Mundaka Upanishad says, Punyena Punya Lokam Nayati Papena Papa Mubhabhyameva Manushya Lokam. That just like if you do Punya, if you do good actions, you go to Swarg. Conversely, if you do Pap, which is another word for Vikarma, you'll go to Narak. So, vikarma means that vidhi nished of the Vedas, what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do. So, the karmi does the do's and doesn't do the don'ts. The vikarmi does the things that are restricted in the Vedas and doesn't do the things that we're supposed to. So, he ignores the do's and he does the don'ts. That's vikarma or pap. And the result of that is the opposite of Swarg. Just like there's an actual place, a celestial abode, there's an actual Narak, what we would call hell in English. Yet, this Narak is also not a place where anyone goes forever. It's just the opposite of Swarg. So you're sentenced to a certain period or a certain stay in Narak according to, you know, to receive the consequences of bad actions and then you come back here again. Or maybe you just get some bad destiny in your next life. One way or the other we get the results of those bad actions. Asurim yoni 
समापन्ना मूढ़ा जन्मनी जन्मनी गीता गीता by doing vikarma you go down either you go into the lower species or you go into narak your consciousness also goes down your your mind is polluted by doing bad actions so now you understand karma and vikarma in the gita in the beginning shri krishna explained to arjun about karma and vikarma and he told the arjun that according to this hato va praapsyasisvargam jitva va bhokshase mahim tasmadutishthakaunteya yuddhaya krita nischaya arjun fighting this war is your dharma because you are a kshatriya you are a warrior and it's your duty it's your dharma to uphold the laws of the society and if someone is breaking those laws you try all the other methods first but if those methods fail then it's your duty to use force to make that person stop in this case duryodhan and everyone who is supporting him so it's your dharma to fight this war there's no way out of it if you don't fight the war you're ignoring your dharma and that will be considered a bad action and you'll be liable to be punished according to the law of karma and if you do your dharma you'll be rewarded he says let's say you choose to fight the war because it's your dharma and you're doing it so let's say you're killed in the war then you'll go to swarg because you died doing your dharma let's say you win the war then you'll enjoy the pleasures of being king of the whole earth planet so if you do your karma your dharma you'll be rewarded so you can't lose either way you win arjun thought to himself shri krishna has already explained to me that there's no happiness in swarg and i've already experienced the pleasures of this earth planet so what he's telling me is that you can just get more worldly enjoyment or a higher form of enjoyment in swarg which is still not divine happiness it's still not my ultimate goal or you can look at it this way everything under maya is binding like jail you're bound to be in jail swarg is a class jail this mrityulok is b class jail and narak is c class jail because even in swarg you're still bound to be born again in this world you're not experiencing divine happiness so you're in jail you're bound in maya but it's better than you know the happy the pleasures over there are better than the pleasures of this world and of course narak who would want to go there that's much worse than this world so that's c class jail but all three are jail or understand it this way think of a dark night 
if you weren't in New York where there are always lights shining somewhere, you're out in the countryside somewhere, and there's no moon and it's a very cloudy night, so even the stars aren't showing. It's a completely black night, so you can't see anything. Now let's say it's a clear night, so you can see the stars, but there's no moon. So on a clear night where there's stars, the stars give some light, so you can see a little bit. And on a clear night where there's a full moon high in the sky, then you can see very clearly. Yet, in all three situations, it remains night. A completely dark night, a clear night with stars, or a clear night with stars and the full moon, in all three cases, it's still night. Even the full moon can't make the night go away. So, similarly, we have three qualities of maya. Tamoguna, Rajoguna, Sattvaguna. So, Tamoguna is like the black, dark night. Rajogun is like the night where you can see a little bit. It's a clear night, but there's only starlight. There's no moon. And Sattvagun is like that clear, bright night with a full moon. Yet all three of those qualities, Sattva, Raj, Tam, all three are Mayak qualities. So no matter where you go in this Mayak field, you're still in the material field. So Swarg is connected with that Sattvagun. This Mrityulok, this world we're in here, that's connected with Rajogun. And Narak is connected with Tamogun. So all three are night. All three are Maya. So, Arjun didn't want to do Karma or Vikarma because he says, either way I'm in jail. Whether I go to A class jail or B class or C class, that's not what I want. So he wanted to understand something more. Thus, Sri Krishna told him about Karma Yoga. Tasmat sarveshu kaleshu mamanusmara yudhyacha. Arjun, do this. Do the good action of fighting the war with your mind attached in me. Remember me every moment while you fight the war, and then you'll be doing karma yoga, and then you won't get the result of having performed karma, you'll get the result of having surrendered your mind to me. So karma and karma yoga are similar looking on the outside. Doing karma yoga means physically you're doing the same thing as if you're doing karma. Let's say Arjun fought the war thinking that, oh, if I do this good action by doing my dharma, I'll be rewarded. I'll get to enjoy more in my next life or maybe by going to Swarg. So then would he have been doing karma yoga? No. That is karma. See, his mind was attached in the world and his mind was attached in the fruit of his actions. So he was performing a good action, which is a good thing. But he was doing it with attachment in what he would get in the world for having performed that good action. So this is karma. Karma means doing good actions physically and mentally, you're still attached in the world. 
So that's karma. Vikarma means not doing the good actions and your mind is attached in the world. Or doing bad actions and your mind is attached in the world. Karma means doing good actions and your mind is attached in the world. And karma yoga means physically doing good actions but your mind is attached to God. And attachment, remember, is the result of the decision we make. This goes back to my review yesterday in the beginning. I talked about the fact that perfect happiness is in God, not in the world. So the one who has made that mental decision and is desiring to attain God, they want God in this life and that's the goal of their life. That person can become a karma yogi because that means that's he wants God. So he's going to be thinking about God and that's going to create an attachment in his mind to God. So he's desiring God but still performing good actions in the world. That is karma yoga. So karma yoga looks like karma but has a different result. If your mind is attached to God, you will attain God. Remember this this whole lecture series is about the three paths to God. So karma on its own does not take you to God. Karma plus bhakti takes you to God. Bhakti means attaching your mind to God. That's it. A simple definition of bhakti. Having the mind attached to God is bhakti, devotion. We'll be talking in much more detail about bhakti later. It's good, just leave it. But for now, just keep in mind that when I say bhakti, what I mean is attaching your mind to God. So, karma plus bhakti equals karma yoga. The yoga part means yuj yogaha, which means to join or unite. So, normally we have our mind united with the world. Wherever our desire is, that's where our mind is united. That's where united or joined means attached. So we're normally attached in the world. So we're doing yoga with the world. Our mind is joined with the world. So we're not karma yogis in that case. But having the mind joined with God and physically doing good karma in the world, that is karma yoga. So the result of karma yoga is attaining God because in fact we get the result of our mental attachment Someone may say, but you're doing the same physical actions, so won't you be forced to go to Swarg? Or won't you be forced to be born again to receive the good consequences of your good karma? The answer is no, because you weren't attached to any of those actions or the fruit of those actions. You did them as a good action without any personal attachment to it. Your mental attachment was in God. So, you attain God. 
ஸ்மரன்ஜத்தியேவரம் தம் தமேவைத்தி கௌந்தேய சதா தத்பாவிதர் யூர் மைண்ட் இஸ் அட்டாச்ட் தட்ஸ் வேர் யூ கோ ஆஃப்டர் யூ லீவ் திஸ் பாடி ஸோ இஃப் ஒர் அட்டாச்ட் காட் தென் வி அட்டைன் காட் So karma yoga is for people living in the world. It allows them to keep doing all of their physical duties in the world while keeping their mind attached to God. Now, Krishna has said that our mind must be attached to him all the time. He said Arjun sarveshu kaleshu mamanu smara. Remember me every moment. yudhyacha and fight the war now that seems like a very difficult task to remember krishna every moment we can't even do that doing our mundane physical chores let alone fighting a war yet somehow arjun was able to do it so it must be possible and we're going to revisit this topic later we will talk about how to keep the mind in god all the time no matter what we're doing but for now all we need to understand is that karma yoga allows us to physically keep living in the world yet have our mind attached to god so that's the third type of karma described in the gita karma dikarma and karma yoga and the fourth one is karma sanyas karma sanyas nyas means tyag sanyas means parityag purna tyag of what of karma karma sanyas so that means leaving all the good karma so if you do that aren't you a vikarmi no leave all the physical good karma and just do one thing remember god keep your mind attached to god so that's the fourth kind of karma so the karma sanyasi internally is doing the same thing the karma yogi is they both have their mind attached to god and physically they're doing two separate things the karmi is physically involved in doing all of the good actions and the karma yogi is physically involved in doing all of the good actions with his mind in god and the karma sanyasi he's not physically involved in doing all the good actions but his mind is still in god so what is the result of karma sanyas compared to karma yoga shri krishna says in the gita sanyasa karma yogascha nishreyasa karavubhau ubhau means both both karma sanyas and karma yoga kara nishreyasa means they give you nishreyas which means your ultimate attainment god realization both of them do again someone might say how is it so one is doing so many good actions one is not doing any good actions he's left the world and he's only thinking of god because we get the result of our mental attachment not the result of our physical doings 
So as far as God is concerned, the karma yogi and the karma sannyasi are doing the exact same thing. He doesn't even look at the physical movement of our body. He's looking where is our mind. So in the Gita, Sri Krishna told Arjun, you be a karma yogi. Okay, I want you to do the good action of fighting the war, but I want you to do that with your mind in me. And that way, we'll meet both ends. We'll be able to accomplish the task of fighting the war and stopping Duryodhana and all these other evil kings. And since your mind will be in me, you won't get the result of any of those actions. You will only attain me. So you be a karma yogi. And a karma sannyasi says, Sandhya vandana bhadramastu bhavate bhosnana tubhyam namaha bho deva pitarascha tarpana vidhau naham chamachamyatam he says, I don't have time to do any of these physical formalities. Here he's talking about ritual formalities. He says, uh, I'm not going to do Sandhya anymore. I'm sorry, Vedas. I'm sorry, ancestors. I'm sorry, Devatas. Please forgive me. But I'm not doing any of the ritual formalities that the Vedas require me to do in order to please you. I'm not doing any of that. Why not? Because my mind is just in Krishna. I only want to keep my mind in Krishna and not be involved in any of those other things. That is karma sannyas. So now you understand the four types of karma. Good actions, bad actions, good actions with your mind in God, and not doing any, not being involved in any type of good actions, but keeping the mind in God. Karma, Vikarma, Karma Yog, Karma Sanyas. Karma Yog and Karma Sanyas both give God realization, and Karma and Vikarma keep you bound under Maya. So now the question comes when only Karma Yog and Karma Sanyas give God realization, because both incorporate Bhakti. Karma Yog, remember, is Physical good karma plus bhakti, which means mental attachment in God. And karma sannyas is just bhakti, without doing any of the good karma. Both result in God realization. Then why is there such an extensive description in our scriptures about karma? The reason is that it's a preliminary practice. You see, out of everybody in the world, how many of them are actually desiring God? In fact, even if somehow we were able to bring everyone in the world or broadcast it worldwide and every single person in the world heard the whole philosophy of Sanatan Dharma and intellectually understood why a soul can only be happy when they attain God, 
Yet, how many out of all the people on this earth planet, how many of them would actually desire God or make that decision in their mind that I'm going to follow the path to God? How many out of you will make that mental decision? Having heard this whole lecture series, how many of you will actually think, I'm going to find God in this life. I'm going to follow the path to God. Very few people will. So the path of karma is for those people who do not desire God. Although everybody desires God, but for those people who aren't making that decision in this life, that I want to find God in this life, what should they do? Should they just do vikarma? No, they should do karma. Because karma is better than vikarma. For one, vikarma leads to suffering, our suffering and others' suffering. So at least karma gives us some pleasure, some well-being in this world, some peace of mind. But in addition to that, you see, by following karma, what are we doing? Let's say someone decides, I want to go to Swara. Or just, I want to get a really good destiny for my next life. So I'm going to find out what do the Vedas say, how should, what kind of good karma should I perform so that I can enjoy a lot in the future. Then they try to follow those actions, even if it's out of total selfishness, just because they want to enjoy the world. They have no other desire but to enjoy the world. But they know, in order to enjoy the world, I have to do all these good actions, according to Vedas. So those good actions demand a tremendous amount of discipline. They require charity. They require us keeping our mind in that performance of that good action. So it actually... It brings a soul in the right direction. Even without them knowing. Even if the soul is just performing those good actions with completely selfish motives, it's still better than not performing those actions. And it's definitely better than doing bad actions. So it's a preliminary practice. By performing all those good actions, are they going to attain God? No. But they are elevating their consciousness somewhat and eventually they'll get to the point where they'll ask themselves the question, to what extent will I keep going on enjoying this world? At what point do I really have to stop and think that no amount of this world will make me perfectly happy? I want to find God. Eventually the person will get to that point. So the path of karma brings a person. For a person with a lot of worldly desire and very little desire for God, the path of karma will bring them, induce them in that direction towards God. Then they have to adopt bhakti. They have to decide, I want to find God, and they have to start desiring God and attaching their mind to God. That's the next step. So that's why our Sanatan Dharma, our Hinduism, is divided into two sections of Dharma. One is called Aparadharma and one is called Paradharma. Apara means preliminary. 
and par means supreme. Yatobhyudaya nishrayasa siddhi sadharma. Purva Mimansa says, Dharma gives you two things. Aparadharma by following all the karma, karma kand of Vedas. That will give you prosperity and mental well-being in this world. And by following paradharma, you will attain nishrayas, which means perfect happiness of your soul. Savai punsam paro dharmo yato bhagavatam. The supreme dharma is simply doing bhakti. And the preliminary dharma is all the other good actions described in the Veda. So we see that, in fact, there is a place for all of those good karma. For one, it helps control and keep peace in the world. Because most people are not going to be really practicing bhakti and trying to attain God. So at least they should follow some rules of good behavior. Someone who is doing real bhakti, who has his mind attached to God, he's automatically going to have regard for other people's feelings. He'll have generosity. These good qualities will develop automatically in his mind. It doesn't mean he's perfect, but those good qualities will develop. Now, someone who isn't doing bhakti, they should at least follow some rules of good behavior. So there is a place for all of those rules of karma. And by following that, the people of the world maintain peace and harmony in the family, in the society, and in the world. So it's a start. It's required. It's necessary. But it doesn't lead all the way to God-realization. To attain God, we have to add in bhakti. So in that case, we have to either do karma-yoga or karma-sanyas. So in other words, you can say the path of karma on its own does not lead to God-realization, but karma-yoga does. If you add bhakti to your good karma, it becomes karma-yoga. That takes you to God. So now we understand why we find both praise and criticism for the path of karma in our scriptures. Where the scriptures are criticizing the path of karma, it's to make us realize that this path of karma is, cannot take us to our ultimate goal. If someone is just doing good karma out of a desire to enjoy the world, then the scriptures want them to understand that there's something more beyond that. They shouldn't think that's the ultimate thing. And where our scriptures praise the path of karma, they mean that karma that is done with bhakti. Tat karma haritosham yat. Vedabhyasji writes in the Bhagavatam that the best karma is that karma which is done to please God. That is real good karma. That is the ultimate form of good actions. So, this kind of good action is, is praised in our scriptures. Dharmaha svanushthita punsam vishvakseshu kathasuyat 
नोत्दिम श्रम एवलम भागवतम Here Sudji is telling uh, Shonakadik Paramahans that the dharma or karma which is done according to all those exacting rules if someone makes all of those efforts and carefully follows all of that karma and dharma yet does it without bhakti for god in his heart then shrama eva hi kevalam it's nothing but parishram it takes a lot of effort and you don't really get anything out of it so you're supposed to do those good actions with bhakti with the mind attached to god there's a story told in the bhagavatam that during shri krishna's descension one day when he was out grazing the cows with his gwalbal playmates he thought of grazing some brahmans of mathura who were having a yagya nearby so he said to his friends you know i'm feeling so hungry and we have nothing to eat and nearby there's some brahmans and they're having a yagya they have a lot of food prepared for that yagya why don't you go and tell them take my name tell them i'm nearby and i'm hungry and ask for some food for all of us so those boys went and those brahmans didn't even look towards them they tried to tell them that you know krishna's nearby and he's hungry and can you please give some food for us to take to him they were just so intent on following the rules of their yagya that they just said what you guys think we're going to this food is for this yagya we're doing it has to be offered properly we're not just going to give it to you like that and let you take it away so they completely ignored the boys so the boys went back and told shri krishna and he said don't worry my friends if you fail at something once in this life you just keep trying and trying until you succeed so go back and this time approach the wives of those brahmans so those wives of the brahmans they had been hearing the stories of krishna the whole time that krishna was in braj but they had never actually laid eyes on krishna but they were always thinking about him and thinking of his leelas So those boys came and they told these ladies that uh, Krishna is nearby and he's hungry and they barely got the words out of their mouth and those ladies said what Krishna's here where is he um yes and they just ran and grabbed all the food they could carry and their brothers and husbands and parents everybody was trying to stop them what are you doing where are you going with all of this and they just took it and went as fast as they could to Krishna So when they arrived they saw Krishna there in a kunj surrounded by his playmates and all the calves and cows and they just drank in that jhanki that darshan of seeing Shri Krishna for the first time and Shri Krishna having graced them with his darshan then graced them by accepting the food that they had brought so he partook of that and then all of his friends did as well and then he instructed them to go back 
So they returned, and they were a little bit worried, thinking that, uh, you know, how can we go back? We ignored all of them were trying to stop us, and we just ran and came to you. Krishna said, don't worry about that. You've surrendered to Supreme God. That's your paradharma. And anyone who does that, everyone in the whole world honors them. So when they went back, no one even said a single bad word to them. And when the yagya was done, those Brahmins, they realized that we made a mistake. Supreme God himself was asking us for our food that we were going to use in the yagya and turning our back on him, we were totally involved in our ritualistic karma. And our wives, who have no such learning of the Vedas as we do, look at their great knowledge they exclaimed, Dhigjanmanastri vridvidyam dhigbratam dhigbahugyatam dhikkulam dhikriyadakshyam vimukham yetvadhokshaje. They said, shame on us and all of our learning of the Vedas, shame on all of our knowledge of the Vedic rituals, Shame on all of the vrat that we've done and all of the good karma we've done. Shame on our high birth. Our wives are so much better than us. They have no such knowledge of the Vedas or any rituals, but they have bhakti for Krishna in their heart. And they were willing, even upon our stopping them, to just go to Krishna because they knew it was right. So now we realize that they have much higher knowledge than we do. And all of our knowledge and all of our rituals were vyart. They were of no use because we had our back turned to God. So what is the use of all of this if our back is turned to God? So we see that where our scriptures criticize karma or karmakand, it is those actions and those rituals that are done without the attachment of the mind in God or without offering those actions to God and where our scriptures praise karma they're praising that karma which is offered to God yat karo shi yat juho shi yat yat tapasya gita Whatever you do, offer it to God. And offering it to God means at the time you're doing the karma, you're remembering God. Then that karma is being offered to Him. So even a mundane, everyday action like cleaning or eating, anything like that, that can be offered to God. At the time that you're cleaning, you just think that this house, my house, it's not my house, it's Krishna's house. He lives here. This house belongs to him. I'm cleaning his house. When you're cooking the food, you know you're going to offer it to Krishna first before you eat. So you just think, I'm cooking for Krishna. Normally when you cook, you think, I'm cooking for my family. That motivation is there in your mind. Oh, I have to feed my kids. I have to feed my family. So instead of that, you think, well, before I feed them, I'm going to offer it to Krishna, right? So, when you're cooking, you think, I'm cooking this to offer it to Krishna. Then your act of cooking becomes offered to Krishna. 
So this kind of karma, see you're doing your family duty, <laughs> but you're mentally attached to Krishna. So all of your actions become karma yoga or it becomes bhakti. That type of good karma is praised in the scriptures. And all the other good karma, so sab dharma karma jari jau jahanaram padapankaj bhau. Do the same good karma without love for God. Tulsidasji goes to the extreme, saying all of that good karma might have might as well be burnt in a fire because it's of no use. Japa tapa niyama yoga nija dharma shruti sambhava nana shubha karma jnana dayadam tiratha majjana jaha lagi dharma kahe shruti sajjana agam nigam Puranayane ka padhe sune kar phal prabhu eka Tav pad pankaj priti nirantar Sab sadhan kar yaha phal sundar Because Milahi naraghupati binu anuraga Kie jog jap gyan viraga Therefore, sab karmat khag nayak eha Kariyaram pad pankaj neha जहाँ लगी साधन वेद बखानी सब कर फल हरि भगति भवानी So now you understand that the true good actions are those that are offered to God and any action which is done without love for God in our heart is only an ordinary good action which at most can take us to swarg or give us good destiny in our next life, but it can't give us God-realization or freedom from maya, which is our true goal. So, we understand now that the path of karma is incomplete in and of itself, but if you add bhakti, it becomes karma yoga, and that takes you to God. Now, regarding the path of bhakti and karma, there's a couple of more questions or doubts that people have, so I'll quickly clear those before we finish tonight. One is regarding our irina, our debts. The scriptures say, Rinani trinya pakritya mano mokcheni veshayet. Manusmriti says every person has three debts and they must pay those debts before they're allowed to become liberated from Maya. So if you want to become liberated from Maya, you have to pay those debts. And these three debts mentioned in Manusmriti are. Devarina, Rishirina, and Pitririna. Devarina means to the celestial gods. 
the celestial gods, devatas, in Swarg. So they are not God, they are just material powers who reside in Swarg. We have a debt to them and that debt is paid by doing Vedic rituals like Yagya. That's how you pay your debt. By, that's all described in Karmakand. All of those Vedic rituals help you become free of your debt to the celestial gods. Some of it also helps you become free of your debt, which is called Pitririn, your debt to your parents and your ancestors, which is satisfied by raising a family, among other things. Then, the Rishirin, that is satisfied by studying the scriptures, learning the Vedas. There are even a couple of other debts which are added in in some other scriptures. There's one Niririn and there's one Bhutirin. Niririn means our, uh, our debt to other human beings. That's satisfied actually by treating visitors to your home properly. There are many rules and regulations in the Vedas that tell you how to do that as well. And then Bhutarin means your debt to other living beings on the earth planet, which is satisfied by giving charity. So in total, we have five rin, five debts, and those are all paid in various ways by following the laws of karma. By following the path to karma, you can become free from these five debts. So if someone isn't following all of those rules, because if someone is doing bhakti, they're not bound to follow all of those rules. So what happens to them? Someone might think they can't become God-realized because they can't be free from maya unless they get free from these debts. So Veda Vyasji gives us the answer. Devarshi bhūtāpta nrinām pitrīnām nakiṁ karo nāyam rinīcarājan sarvātmanāya sharanam sharanyam gato mukundam parihritya kartam Vedabhyasji explains that there's a subsection to the law. See, the law is you, ha- you can't become liberated unless you become free of these five arena. But the subsection says that all of those arena, that's for aparadharma. If someone has graduated to paradharma, they're doing bhakti, then they're automatically free of those five arena. They're not bound to fulfill that. Just by doing bhakti, they've already fulfilled that. It's like someone who goes to a university, does he continue to follow all the rules and regulations of kindergarten? No, he doesn't. There are different rules and regulations for university. And once he's graduated from university and he has his diploma or his master's degree or his doctorate, his PhD, now he's a, he's a graduate. So he doesn't even have to follow the laws of the university anymore. His professor sees him and he says, hey, you haven't been coming to class lately, what's going on? Well, I already have my degree, why would I come to class? So when you've graduated, you don't keep following the rules of the, the lower level. 
Similarly, someone who's following the paradharma, someone who's doing bhakti, is not bound by the laws of aparadharma. So he's free from the panchirin automatically. Along these same lines, someone else may have a doubt that when God has said in Badhul Smriti, Shruti Smriti Mamaivagye Yasta Ullangya Vartate, what I've laid out in the Vedas and other scriptures like the Smritis, those are my laws. So if you break those laws, you're my enemy, God is saying. And yet, we're saying that if someone is doing bhakti, they're not bound to follow all of those laws. They've graduated beyond the laws of aparadharma. For instance, if someone is doing karma yoga, what it means is they're physically following all those good actions and their mind is in God. Now, if someone is just doing karma with their mind attached in the world and attached to the fruit of their actions, they're liable to be punished if they don't follow that karma exactly right. Like I explained about that rakshas that did that yagya. I explained that yesterday. So if someone is doing all of those actions with their desire that I want to enjoy the world by performing all this yagya and rituals and all the other good karma, I'm doing it with my mind attached in the world. If they break those laws, then they're liable to be punished. But the karma yogi who has his mind in God and is just physically following the good karma, it's a different set of rules for him. He's still trying to follow that good karma, but if somehow he makes a mistake somewhere and he breaks one of those rules, the same punishment doesn't apply because his mind is in God. Yet, and the same goes for the karma sannyasi. The karma sannyasi has left all of those good actions totally, yet he's not being punished. Because his mind is in God. So someone may wonder that, again, it says in Gita, Shri Krishna says, those laws in the Karmakanda of Vedas, that's there to guide you. And if you don't follow that, you won't get any happiness in this world or the next one. So, if someone is just doing bhakti and not following all of these uh, laws of karma, so won't he be considered to be breaking all of God's laws and won't he be considered an enemy of God? Sri Krishna himself says in the Gita and the Bhagavatam, no. Look at the very final teaching of the Gita. Sarvadharman parityajya mamekam sharanam braja aham tvam sarvapapebhyo mokshayishyami Arjun, leave all the other dharmas and just surrender to me. So what is he saying? He's saying leave aparadharma and just do dharma. Just do paradharma. Just do bhakti. In the Bhagavatam, he says, Dharman sant 
त्यज्य He says, the greatest devotee is the one who leaves all the other ritual performances, all the other karmas, and just does maam bhajet, just worships him. He says, he's the highest devotee. So in other words, don't worry. Now, I'm not saying that everybody should become a karma sannyasi. In fact, the world won't function that way. If everybody became a karma sannyasi, then who would work and grow food and make money? See, I'm a sannyasi, but I can only eat because you're karmis and karma yogis. <laughs> if we're all karma sannyasis, who's going to feed from us? I need to be able to beg from you, don't I, as a sannyasi? <laughs> so we can't all become karma sannyasis. But I'm just explaining the principle to you and how it all works according to the laws of karma, that if someone leaves all of the karmas and has his mind attached in God, he's a karma sannyasi, he won't be punished for leaving those karmas because his mind is in God. If someone leaves all the good karma but his mind isn't in God, so he's not doing karma nor is he doing bhakti, then he is a vikarmi and he will be punished. But if he leaves all the karma and does bhakti, he'll only get the result of his bhakti, But you are all being encouraged to be karma yogis because you have family commitments. You have worldly duties. So by continuing to do that and doing bhakti, you become a karma yogi. So that's as far as I'm going to go in my explanation of the path of karma yoga. And as we continue, the next step is going to be understood is going to be to understand about the path of jnana. Before I explain in detail about the path of bhakti, I want to explain a few things to you about the path of jnana, because knowledge is also important. Yet, in our scriptures, we also find contradictions regarding jnana. In our scriptures, we find, in fact, criticism of jnanis, and the path of Gyan, and we also find praise for Gyanis and the path of Gyan. So we have to understand about this. Why is that so? Why would there be criticism? Why would there be praise? And is the path of Gyan worth being adopted by us? Is that a viable path to God that we could follow? So we'll discuss all of that in the coming speeches. <laughs> 